Welcome back to Breakthrough, Waking Up to the Real You. I am your host, Alejandra Vivanco. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember that we are working on talking about, working on and talking about Yesterday I Cried by Ian Levanzant. I think the book is still available on Amazon. And today we're going to talk about chapter seven and eight. If you haven't uh, listened to the other episodes, you can go back and listen to them. Um, I think it starts with what, with the, the uh, like a question, what's something, and that's the first episode. But we have a lot more books that um, are available, so just check them out. And um, so last week, the episodes were, you know, intense. Um, remember that I recorded three episodes in one day and it was just exhausting but it was a good exhausting it was a it was a a meaningful intentional exhausting you know you sometimes you have to go through it come out on the other side and then keep on moving and it's just it's not about fixing something it's about just life feeling a little bit different I don't know if it's that, that something got resolved within me when I talked about, um, you know, the passages from the book where Iyanla talks about abuse and the reason why, you know, adults do what they do when they feel powerless and use kids or anybody they have power over to just let the anger out. But it, it, it is important for us to have these conversations as uncomfortable and painful as they may seem they are necessary. So I encourage you to just keep on going, keep on finding new stuff. Not necessarily that you're just going to sit there and try to find something. It's just that if, if something comes up or if you are uh, facing a challenge where there's a trigger involved and something comes up, then you are um, honest, able, and willing to be open to learning about yourself through, you know, finding out where the trigger comes from or what the challenge is actually telling you. So, so right now on chapter seven, we are coming out of Rhonda's rape and um, Net Lynette um, is uh, basically aware that something is off. She confronts Rhonda about how Uncle Leroy is looking at her. And then, you know, she doesn't confess that she was raped, but she goes into a, you know, she she panics and she's at a diner and she just goes straight to the bathroom and cries. And, you know, it's understood that Nat knew that Rhonda had been raped. And it was understood that Rhonda was telling her her, her truth by showing her the, her pain. So here is where we get to something that I believe happens so much so often, especially in the society that I grew up in, in the culture that I grew up in. And unfortunately, there's not a lot to do when it comes to these matters, uh, teenage pregnancies, because, you know, when you are underage and legally speaking so up until 17 if you're not 18 you're not in my country at the time that i was growing up you know peru it's not you're legal at 18 
And I don't care if, you know, way back when, you know, it was common for uh, a minor to be with somebody that was 18 or 19. It doesn't matter. It, it is what it is still. So we're going to call everything the way it is. And the problem is that when you grow up in a family, any family that doesn't talk about anything and they trust the school system to kind of teach you what to do or there's an expectation or they don't even think about it that eventually you'll figure it out on your own that sets women and men up for failure when I was growing up I had no idea what a what a menstruation was when I remember the first time that I saw blood coming out I went straight to my brother because I didn't trust my mother and this is a, a, supposed to be a woman thing. But I cannot ask, you know, water from a stone. Uh, my mom couldn't give me what she had not been given, which was a conversation about womanhood, a conversation about uh, sexual relations, a conversation about body. Uh, any, I couldn't ask for anybody for anything, basically. But there was always, and this is the this is the, the problem, a big problem, is there was always an expectation that I knew better. How am I supposed to know better if you don't teach me? Because, sure, we can all talk about life being, you know, the ultimate school, and you can have discussions about things that you can be told a lot of things, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, you... Uh, going through stuff, living basically, and just life will teach you. True. But then when you are a teenager and you get pregnant, who's at fault? Usually it's the, it's the girl. It's not usually the guy. It's always the girl because she's not only the one who got pregnant, but she's also the one who has to carry the baby and she's the one who has who takes on the responsibility. And that's what we're talking about on chapter seven and chapter eight. So how can adults be so, how can I put this? You, you fill in the blanks for me. Expecting kids, teenager, teenagers, or young adults that are not legal yet, or even when they are legal, you know, to they expect them to know something that they haven't been taught. So around my neighborhood, it was not uncommon to see underage uh, girls pregnant. They haven't been taught. And then obviously there is the... You know, there is the um, the argument that you can say, well, you can tell whatever you want to a teenager or to a to a, to a young kid, but the, the, the hormones and they're going to do what they're going to do. That's true. But if you start from a very young age to set boundaries and you portray a relationship where your your kid is not going to just take whatever and do whatever and some conversations are taboo and everything is ooh don't say that ooh don't say this or eventually we all know that teenagers or young adults will have sex or have some sort of contact with the opposite sex if we don't haven't taught them from a very young age how things work what the consequences are and how to do to prevent certain things 
And, you know, parenting, basically, you know, something that people have to do if they choose to have kids. Then we, we, we cannot hold them to a standard that we think they should already know. And I've always had a big problem with that because at the end of the day, when I look at back in my life and in my um, my friends' lives, you can see that it, the, the family is very quick to turn on the girl. But they never point the finger at themselves saying, what did we do wrong? Where did we fail? Where did the communication just fall apart? Where, where was it? How can we pinpoint this? How can we all come together as a family and figure this out? How can we hold ourselves accountable for the things that are happening to a minor? That doesn't really happen, does it? What happens is pointing fingers, shaming, blaming, pushing aside, and I don't know how it. everybody acts aloof. Nobody can see anymore. I don't know how this happened. Oh, my God. Maybe you were not a real parent. Maybe you didn't have the communication because there are some parents that will have the communication with their kids, that will have an open dialogue, that will, that will teach them the basics. And the kid's going to do what the kid's going to do. But the, at the very least, the, the, the parent can say, you know what? I did everything, and that's what's important. I did everything that I could to make sure that they were informed. And then they did whatever they did. Because parents cannot be at all times watching the, the, the young adults or the teens. And nowadays, you know, MTV made it okay for, for it to be popular for kids to, to, to have kids. You know, teenage mom, teen mom. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It just means that why would... I, I, I remember reading stories about teenagers trying to get pregnant because they wanted to get on the show. And last week and the week prior, we talked about the importance of people really thinking about having a family and really, really owning their own shit dealing with their own crap and being aware, taking responsibility for their for their uh, behavior and actions and all that before bringing in someone into the picture. And so if you or someone you know when you were younger or were, let's let's talk about up until 17, but you know around 18, any decision after that obviously, it's a little gray area, but if you were a minor and you were scared because you had uh, unprotected sex and nobody taught you, I don't think that the attention should be on you only. It should be on everybody else. And I don't care what social media says or I don't care what my teacher said. The relationships you should build in your home should be the ones that give you that foundation for you to trust your parents enough and, and listen to them enough. Yes, and we can argue about the hormones and rebellion years and all that, but it means much more. Look, my mom wanted to have a conversation with me when I was 20. Like, what? Girl, I had already been raped at 17. What are you talking about? Girl, bye.
But, you know, at the end, we we have to understand that people project their own insecurities, fears, and all that. You know, how I was treated at home, you know, I was basically trash. And uh, even coming from, you know, my own brother who was supposed to be the closest to me, and I talked about this in um, the prior episode, there is some sort some sort of ownership of my actions and behavior when I make a mistake, and that's how they um, they can justify being being violent. But there's absolutely no ownership when it comes to, oh, I, I got raped and all of a sudden everybody's and and I got pregnant and everybody's like, what? Oh, well, you know, that's on you, boo. That's not on me. How? How, how are we living in that? How, are, how, how people can reconcile that in their brain? Really, it's mind boggling. If you haven't showed up, then shut the fuck up. Let's make a t-shirt. The t-shirt. So, <laughs> so unfortunately for Yanla, aka Rhonda, in in the story, that's her real name, Rhonda Harris. When she was thirteen, she got pregnant, and she she got absolutely no compassion, love, no courtesy whatsoever of anything. She was dating a guy, Reggie. He was fifteen. But then in the neighborhood, there was another guy named Teddy who was 19. And he was attractive. He was a little bit slick. You know, he had that. That's something that girls find interesting. And this guy um, would invite Iyanla to his house, which was just right there. Net hated him. Because obviously she's an, an older lady. She knows who he is. She can see through the bullshit. And Iyanla didn't care. Because remember, we're talking about a 13-year-old who has lived her life with absolutely no positive reinforcement, no positive attention. She was told she wasn't shit. She was told that she di- she didn't matter. She was always uh, abused and there was violence around her. So when you get a positive, you know, and she was told she was ugly. So when you, when you get a positive attention, even when somebody, and that's, that's when you cannot see the red flags, but when you get positive attention from someone that you find cute at 13, 14, 15, and, and so on and so forth, yeah, I am going to pay attention back. Because we want to be loved and accepted. And remember, her pattern has always been, I want to be loved and accepted. And so I have to do what I have to do to please everybody so that they can, in in hopes that they can accept me back. And she never got that. She never got that with her brother. She never got that with her grandmother. Her dad was absent. She only got that with Net. But it was a different type of relationship. It was more of a mother-daughter type relationship. But she never got the with men. And now that she had, you know, a 19-year-old looking at her, yeah, I, I'm going to to go towards danger because I cannot see it. To me, it doesn't say danger. It says, you're welcome. Come in. Open the door. It's all fun and games. And she got pregnant. So 
Ned always told her to stay away from him. And now as, you know, Rhonda has grown older and she's becoming a woman because she's taking dance classes and, you know, she has developed her body and um, she looks more like a woman. Ned is starting to police her a little bit and lash out at her because obviously as a grown woman, Ned can see things coming from a mile away, something that Rhonda can't. And instead of Ned trying to like, embrace Rhonda in a way that they can both have those conversations. Not, not It doesn't mean that she's going to end up manip manipulating or controlling Rhonda. Because remember, Rhonda's coming from all those wounds that we talked about. So Ned saying something positive or something cautious is not going to make Rhonda not do it. But at the very least, to not add on to the negativity of the situation. So let's begin. So here Ianla says, um, there are things that young girls with budding breasts and plump round bottoms need to know about becoming a woman. And she is very clear about how her, how her body changed when she started dancing, African dance. Um, she would go to classes and she, it, she really found freedom in dance. And so if you are somebody who works out or who has grown up working out, you know that your body changes. And obviously, Yanla is a black woman, and she always says that she had a big butt and big breasts and a tiny waist because she was always, you know, dancing and working out. She continues, unfortunately, at the time they need to know these things, their circumstances may be transitional, their families may be unsettled or dysfunctional, the women in their lives may be busy, ill, or absent, or the woman may be too uncomfortable to talk about the things that perhaps no one talked to them about. Young girls still need to know, and they have questions that need to be answered. All young girls need training, womanhood training, in the sacred um in the sacred art and science of becoming a woman. This training includes having information and examples that will enable the young girl to take care of herself and her womanness as it grows within her and through her. And obviously the, the way I grew up and the, the way many people grew up is basically by socializing at school or just outside school in the neighborhood where you kind of learn by just listening to other people talk or you kind of learn how other people operate and you just, you're just bounced around because you don't have any boundaries, clear boundaries, what they should do, they shouldn't do. You misread people and you don't understand what's going on because you are so naive, yet you want to be accepted and loved that people take advantage of you, but then you cannot cry about it. It's very, very interesting. So none of the women in her life ever mentioned or exemplified self-nurturing, self-respect, or self-honor. Rhonda had no one to giggle with about the sacred, secret, innocent, girly things. She saw no pictures or examples that would help her understand what would happen to her body, what to expect once it happened, or what to do about it when it happened. Again, somehow... There, I, I am pretty sure that the women in our lives, when they were growing up and they were not explained the things that happened to them, you know, like getting your period or what, the first time you lose your virginity, 
I am pretty sure they didn't like it. A hundred percent. But because they didn't, they didn't like it, you would think maybe now that they have somebody they can mentor and teach and nurture and be the mother of, they would do, they would choose differently. That doesn't happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. You have to make that choice, a conscious choice, not to repeat the patterns and really get ahead of the game. It doesn't really happen. And so then they complain about their sons or daughters, but they came from you, from your household. Why are you complaining? Oh my God, I don't know why she is like this or he's like that. Well, look at yourself first and let's see what's going on in your house. Because kids are just going to absorb the environment and they're going to react to it. They are the representation of the emotional well-being of the home. They are like a sponge. So people acting like they don't know anything, I, I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. And uh, again, it's not about blaming people. It's about everybody taking responsibility for the roles they played in the child's life. Because how is a child more accountable than you, sir or ma'am? How is that possible? Can somebody make it make sense to me? And sure, parents are going to have great intentions and they're going to make mistakes. And everybody is going to have great intentions and make mistakes. It's about the ownership of them. Instead of trying to see, well, you know, I was a great mother, but I was busy. Yeah, well, the child didn't tell you, hey, have me and then be busy. Iyanla continues, when you need to be loved, you take love wherever you can find it. When you're desperate to be loved, feel love, know love, you seek out what you think love should look like. When you find love or what you think love is, you will lie, kill, and steal to keep it. But learning about real love comes from within. It cannot be given. It cannot be taken away. It grows from your sense of self. It grows from your ability to recreate within yourself and for yourself the essence of loving experiences you have had in your life. When you have not had loving experiences or when you do not have a sense of self, the true essence of love eludes you. Instead, you hold on to reach out to and find yourself embroiled in your mistaken beliefs about yourself and love. Woo-wee. Woo-wee, woo-wee. So self-esteem is so important. Again, my mom acts like Anything that I did, anything that I believe in, anything that happened, any, anything that I chose comes from air. It's like, oh, I don't know. I didn't say that. D didn't you raise me? Like, weren't we in the same household in my formative years or was, was that me only? When you're preoccupied with your own shit, you don't have time for your kids. When you're preoccupied with keeping yourself emotionally unavailable and surviving abuse, you don't have time for the kids you, you had, you chose to have at the end of the day. You brought them into this world. So parents act 
strange when they see you make choices or when you when they when they hear you talk it's like that came from you i didn't come out of the womb thinking that way and i choose not to believe that anymore but that came from you girl like what you didn't show me what a woman should be in a positive way but i learned from you that i should accept abuse in exchange for stability wealth material stability and that i should always play the victim like weren't we in the same house or is this too much but that is how unaware and unconscious our parents are does it mean that she's a bad person no but again if we're going to talk about it, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to call it the way we see it. And people choose, once you expose things, people get to choose if they're going to listen to you or they're going to act all crazy and be like, oh my God, what are you talking about? And keep it pushing. And that's on them. Remember, your agenda in life should never be to change your parents, save your parents, save your friends, save your boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister, nobody. Everybody's on their own. You save yourself first. Because remember, you don't know. And we cannot operate from good intentions. We already know how that works out. I am pretty sure that Iyanla's grandmother had good intentions. But she was still not aligned with how she felt about it. And her behavior and actions didn't show good intentions. It showed resentment, unresolved pain, anger, fear, sadness, that she just basically put it on the tray and gave it to Rhonda and Ray. And then eventually, Rhonda Iyanla has to make a choice. You have to call it the way it is. You have to be, even if it, even if you hear it tough, if you're like, oh my God, that sounds, you know, it sounds really mean, but that's a fact. I'm not calling anybody out of their name. I'm saying it how it is. We didn't come into this world knowing something. We learned it from somewhere. And it it was probably from our parents. If they didn't tell us, we saw it. So if you don't know how to love yourself truly, that doesn't mean that you don't like yourself and look in the mirror and put some lisp lipstick or expensive clothes. It's not about that. It's about knowing that you're worthy, knowing that you're valuable, regardless of what happens. And if you don't believe that in your being, you're going to be like Rhonda or me, looking for love outside of yourself, thinking that somebody has the responsibility to give you love, to feel you worth, to make you feel worthy, to make you feel valuable. And we're not gonna open the door to the world and then the first guy or girl is gonna come and say, let me save you. That's not how it's gonna happen because they're coming out into this world with their own baggage, their own shit, and they're gonna do whatever they know best. And hurt people will hurt people. It's not intentional. It's not personal, it's business. 
So it's up to you to see the red flags, not up to them to tell you. So you have to be honest when you go out into the world. I'm looking for somebody to love me because I cannot love myself. If we could begin to say that, at least you're being honest. Oh, so that means that I can attach myself to anybody that's going to show me something. And I, I just need to feel that attraction and then that's it. My pain body needs to recognize that pain body in order for us to get together. And I know that by the end of this relationship, because it will end badly, I will be even more hurt and more in pain. And probably I will, I will point my finger out to them and blame them for hurting me when I was the one who said yes to all of it. Let's continue. So here she says, Rhonda couldn't believe that an attractive, handsome man-child will be the least bit interested in her. Her father wasn't. Her brother wasn't. She couldn't believe that a grown man would want to have sex with her. It was only when she danced that she felt beautiful. Otherwise, Rhonda felt she had never stopped being ugly. She was going to make the most of every opportunity she had to be beautiful and feel loved. That is the main reason why she went to this guy, um, Teddy. She want it's a, again, I love this book. It's about you. It's not about them. We don't engage in things that don't give us something. We need to get something out of the situation constantly. So on the surface, it looks like, oh my God, a 13-year-old, now it's going to go pursue a 19-year-old. That's on the surface. Who, let's say he, he, he's a womanizer. Deeper than that, and this is not only because she's 13 that this is bad, because she keeps this going as she grows older, but she's saying what it is. She's calling it how it is. She was going to make the most of every opportunity she had to be beautiful and feel loved. So she was chasing that. Whether that was Teddy or whether that was Ronald, whether that was Martin, whether that was Max. She was going to chase that feeling. And that's what we do. Because we learned at home that we don't deserve that. We're ugly. We're broken. There's something wrong with us. But if somebody comes along and let us know, hey, you're cute. All of a sudden, everything changes, right? So... Like I said, she got pregnant, and then when everybody found out, and she didn't say that Teddy was the father. She said her boyfriend, Reggie, whom she sees from time to time, that 15-year-old was the father. And nobody ever asked her who was the father. They just all assumed it was Reggie when she said, you know, she called Reggie and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and that was it. And But she says that I had to begin living with, with my own shame. Nobody was taking responsibility for this. Not her absent father, not her mean grandmother, and not, you know, the environment she grew up in, which was unstable. You know, at, at the very least, we can call it unstable. So 
She decides to have the baby. Obviously, she tells Teddy. Teddy bounces. He disappears completely. And um, she, she didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, there's not a lot of time for a 13-year-old or anybody to be in that position that you can identify how you're feeling and what's going on in you. There's no time. You have to go, go, go. You have to do, do, do. You have to keep on pushing through life and solving the problems and all that. Unfortunately, the baby died at six months old. And she tells the story about how she was on a, and I think it was a train, and um, she had to go identify the baby's body. Nobody came with her to identify the body. When they did, you know, the funeral, the, the grandma didn't go. Ray, her brother, was already an alcoholic, so he was just not in the picture. Nat didn't want to go, and her father didn't go. So, remember, she is a 13-year-old going through all of this. And she says that she didn't experience when the baby was, you know, put to, uh, on the ground and, you know, that everything was over, she didn't experience any grief. Now, it doesn't mean that she didn't feel the grief or there was some part of her that she felt she had that, like she couldn't process anything. So it was just blank. And she just felt like, okay, it's done. It's closure because surrounding this baby was a lot of shame that everything her support system wasn't there and they taught her that it's wrong. Obviously it's wrong because, you know, but because she's a 13 year old, not because she happened to get pregnant and nobody taught her anything. And so there was a, a, there was a link between her experience of feeling shame and alone and pushed aside again with a baby. So the baby's gone and she didn't in that moment experience any sadness or anything. She was just, for the lack of a better word, business as usual, if you will. So at this point, Net is becoming even more erratic because now she knows that Rhonda can get pregnant and that's a possibility again, that that's an issue because still until that moment, Net was still poor her husband was cheating on her with another woman and he was using his money to buy them things to these these other women and he wouldn't help in the household. And remember, Nat is not a Yanla's, well, Rhonda's mother. She was just uh, the wife of the father of Rhonda's father. And so she has taken on this responsibility of the kids. And He's absent. He's gone. So she's struggling as well. So let me read this. After the funeral, let me see here. She says, Rhonda had learned a great deal in the past year. Everything had happened so fast that the lessons had come in fragments. One fragment of what she learned led her to believe that when you don't matter to the people in your life, the things that happen to you don't matter. 
Another piece of the lesson was that once people get what they want from you, they leave. Another small portion of the lesson that life was teaching Rhonda was that when you don't have anything that people want to begin with, they will leave. The biggest and most difficult piece of the lesson that Rhonda had learned was that when you really need someone, the people that you expect to be there will not be there. Rhonda had learned how to cry and keep on moving. It was painful and sometimes hard, but Rhonda had learned her lesson well. So life is telling Rhonda what she already knew. Even when she thinks that something positive can come out of anything, still people will leave you constantly. So she needs to bend and be flexible and betray herself and people please in order for somebody to stay, but one mistake and everybody's gone and nobody wants to be around you. And if they are around you, they are, whether that's physically abused or they, they are um, verbally abusive. So after that, there is a, a small encounter between Rhonda and Ned. Ned is at her wit's end. She finds out that uh, Rhonda had been given $40 and they were struggling and she had bought some nail polish and Ned just went off on her, telling her what her grandma told her when she was younger. You and your daddy ain't shit. And again, it wasn't about Rhonda per se. The trigger was obviously the money, but it came from Ned's inability to cut the the father off completely and begin a new life because she was taking care of kids that were not her own and she was complaining about a man that she was still with that was with other women and her inability to buy things because when Yanla's father met Nat, she would wear perfume, uh, put on nail polish and wear really nice clothes and now she was smelling the cologne of other women on his clothes. So, again, taking responsibility for your life is so important and your decisions instead of taking it out on the kid, especially one that had just lost a baby. And that's why Rhonda decided to take all the pills from the cabinet and commit suicide. Well, it was the first attempt. So... We continue. And this is a good this is a good thing for all of us to remember. Ianla says, if I don't pay attention to the details of my actions, I will do the same thing over and over out of habit. I don't want to do that anymore. If that means that I must search every little corner of my life until I understand that I do I do that gets me sorry. I must search every little corner of my life until I understand what I do that gets me into places I don't want to be, that I'm willing to stay in the tub and remember and cry and be wrinkled and cry some more. So that's how we grow. When you get into the habit of complaining, of searching for the same pattern, searching for, searching for the same people, exposing yourself to the same situations, 
you have to take a look at yourself and say, how can I stop doing that? And why am I doing it? It's always why. What's the reason behind? What am I really looking for in these people, places, and relationships or patterns? What is it really that I am yearning for? And that's how you get to the bottom of things. So, again, Rhonda is 16. She gets pregnant again. And let's see. Ianla says, sometimes we learn things about ourselves that we could never know unless somebody told us. Sometimes people tell us things about ourselves that we really need to know. Other times people would serve us better by keeping their thoughts and opinions to themselves. And we've been talking about this for a very long time, you know, how people take ownership for our bodies, images, and our actions and behaviors when it comes to just judging us. But then when push comes to shove, oh, no, no, you're on your own, you know. So Rhonda gets pregnant again at 16 by a guy from her new high school. And same thing, cute guy. And, you know, and she's still a minor. She's 16. And she has a conversation with Nat that I think it's very important for all of us to really take it in and internalize the message. So they're having a conversation. And again, Nat sees her and she says, yep, you're pregnant again. Like I can see it. And so Nat says, Ronnie, you can't keep having babies. I know you want a family and somebody to love you. I know how hard it's been for you growing up, but having a baby is only going to make it harder. You have to finish school. You're going to be somebody one day and having a baby is going to make that harder too. So the conversation about people choosing to have babies is important because are you trying to want somebody to love you or not want to be alone or try to find purpose through a kid? That's something that you have to ask yourself. And the only person who can answer that, obviously, is you. So it was true what, obviously, Ned told her because she kept going to school and she now had a job. So basically, she would wake up at 5.30 and then she would go to uh, work from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. And then she would go to her home, leave her, the baby with Ned. And then she would go to school until 10 and then she would go back home, do her homework, and probably go to bed one or two in the morning and then wake up again. I'm pretty sure that 16-year-old Ianla, or sorry, Rhonda, didn't make a choice to do that. But she had to take responsibility for her actions. And she gives uh, Net a lot of credit because she's the one who pushed her to just you have to keep going. You already did the, the, the deal. It's all done. So you better go ahead and take responsibility for your actions, even though she's a minor. But you have to push through. Nat couldn't help her because she was having, she had two jobs and she was struggling to make ends meet. So unfortunately, Rhonda meets a guy who was go gone, who was going to go to the army and they, and he, she didn't like him. But they write letters back and forth. She, he was kind of 
infatuated with her, and he asks her to marry him. Again, they didn't know each other like that. Rhonda didn't kind of like him like that. And Ned kept telling her that he was crazy. And Rhonda decides to marry him, unfortunately. So she didn't want to be the shame of the town. She didn't want to be an unwed mother. She didn't want to have to deal with everybody else's judgments. And she thought that if she married someone and she already had a kid, maybe she could, you know, create that family that she wanted. Again, she's still operating from that wound. And she wants to also put a little bit of a, you know, band-aid over the problems that her surroundings are creating for her. You know, it's a shame that you are a mother. It's shameful. It's wrong. And looking at her differently. But like she says, you know, you're trying to fix something from the outside instead of trying to fix it from the inside. So she moves away and she goes to wherever he was um, supposed to be for, for the army and the military or whatever. And he begins to do drugs. And the, the, the people in the, you know how they live in like places where it's subsidized. Okay, they told her it's, it's over. He's kicked out. You got to leave. So she calls Ned and goes back to her house. And um, Curtis, who was her husband, well, was still they didn't divorce yet in, in the story. So they were still together, but separate. He goes back to his mother's house and he, the mother had money and all that. Um, and he robs the mother and he goes to jail. And Rhonda sells some stuff. Some, I think it's some jewelry. Uh, oh, she pawned her engagement ring and wedding ring to bail him out. And he says, on Tuesday he was out. On Thursday, the day before he was scheduled to appear in court, Curtis disappeared. So, remember, you, Rhonda had experienced people turning their back on her. And probably she didn't want that. Now, a, a grown woman conversation, you know, if, if you see things clearly, obviously, you wouldn't be able to trust someone who is an addict and has robbed, I think it was twice or three times, and he got, got, he got caught. And he got caught twice. And you're bailing him out. And now he's gone. And unfortunately for Rhonda, she was pregnant again. So now she had her baby, you know, that the one that she had before getting married. And now she came back to Ned pregnant again. And we can sit around and talk all day and night how wrong it is for somebody to, you know, how can somebody choose that life? But I don't think it's about making a choice per se. It's about things happening in a way that you're choosing not that life per se. 
You are choosing to be finally loved, to escape from the shame, to escape from abuse, to escape from the environment you, you, that knows you and you know in order to start fresh. But we've said it a million times, you can be anywhere with anybody until you fix what's really broken, until you see what's where those decisions are coming from, you're never going to be able to escape that ever. I don't care where you are. Eventually, you'll fall back into your old habits and you'll make the same choices as everybody else. And it's not coming from a, you know, a conscious aligned place. It's coming from pain. She's longing for a family, the family that she never had. Remember, she starts the book with the story that her mother had died and nobody told her. It's really painful. And I don't think that Rhonda Harris, a.k.a. Ian Lavanzant, chose that. I don't think that was her goal to have multiple baby daddies, to have a six-month baby die when she was 13, to bury a baby and to have a, a husband who's a drug addict. That's not something we choose. That's not a goal. I don't care what Instagram says and everybody like, I want multiple baby daddies and paycheck and it's all about the money. Trust me, it's out there. We're really longing for something more, whether that's love or acceptance or we have made ourselves believe that maybe I'm never going to get that. So let me just use people to get money or use people to get some love or attention. That's really what's going on. That's where the conversations should, should be focused on. On the surface, it looks bad. It looks bad. But because underneath, it's just worse. Anyway, so that's all for today. That's chapter seven and chapter eight. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to share and to follow me on Instagram at alevivanco29. I have more content there and I'll see you next week. I hope you have a great, I think this is the end of the year. I, have, I hope you have a great uh, second to last week of the year. And uh, remember to just be honest with yourself. Because I know that in one week, everybody's going to be talking about the new year and the goals. And, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that. Let those decisions come from a truthful place and they're only going to come from a truthful and honest place when you begin to deal with the crap you've been holding on to for a long time. And with that, I say till next time. Bye.